Hello, I'm Jacob Feldman. And I'm Ebenobi Williams, and this is the Beam Me Up, Scotty, sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Jacob, very excited to have you here. Scott Soshnick, normal host on a much-earned, well-needed vacation with his focus group of one down in Florida, uh, and very excited to have you joining us. How are you doing? Fantastic. Yeah, I meant to ask before we got on, what do we think the odds are Scott's going to listen to this podcast? I think the odds are essentially zero. Um, because I've done podcasts with him before when he does not tune in. Uh, so we can say whatever we would like to say uh, about Scott. You have free reign. Perfect. Yeah, I'll break out my notes. Um, we can dive into it. Beautiful, beautiful. Did you watch any of the Masters this week, uh, Jacob? I did off and on. Um, you know, not a golf guy necessarily. I, I texted some friends. I, I tuned in. I don't know. What was it? 4.30 yesterday. You know, it was probably a three-shot difference. I saw Cam Smith hit it in the water. and I was like, all right, those are my 15 minutes of golf for the year. Uh, we'll see you next year. That was basically my experience. Yeah, it's interesting. We Scott and I talked on the show last week about the return of Tiger. Certainly, some 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 major impacts business wise that that Tiger's return had for golf. The ESPN, which which broadcast the first two rounds when Tiger was still like kind of in contention, playing fairly well, huge boost for them. I, I looked at the ratings. Round one was up twenty one percent from last year. Round two up thirty five percent. I think they were the two heaviest watched ESPN plus golf days of all time. A lot of good things in there for at least the early broadcast. We're recording this, I think before we're going to see the final CBS numbers. Sure. We can get into that. I imagine that the fact that Scotty had a three to seven shot lead for essentially the entire weekend maybe didn't help all that much. Um, But something I do, I did think was interesting. I saw this stat in Axios eight weeks ago, Scotty Scheffler had zero PGA tour wins and had eight, a little over $8 million in career tour earnings. Flash forward those eight weeks, he now has four PGA Tour wins. He has 18 million in career earnings and is the number one ranked golfer in the world. What a two month stretch for Scotty Scheffler, unquestionably the hottest golfer uh, in the world right now. Yeah, and it's insane. And I saw people going back and forth a little bit about whether he benefited from the fact that Tiger took all that attention on Thursday and Friday. You know, you're going into this, the Masters as a hot golfer, as a young guy, if Tiger's not there, Maybe he's the headline attraction. Maybe the crowds are on him Thursday and Friday, and maybe things go differently. Uh, so I, I think to him, I mean, it had to be kind of nice, I imagine, getting a sense of his personality that not to be the center of attention, and then by the end of it to not have, like you were saying, anybody really breathing down his neck. Yeah, I think that he kind of lost, I think, a lot of the, whatever the 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 cover he got, I think he lost, but certainly on Saturday and then Sunday morning when he woke up with, with such a big lead, and it was clear that the story of this tournament was going to be either that he ran away right. with it, which he did, or he had some kind of spectacular failure, uh, w- which he avoided. Jacob, you, you write so much about kind of the way media is changing, the way that we consume sports is changing. I am not a big golf person. I really like the way that this kind of nets out and golf works its way out well for this. ESPN Plus had its own feed for Amen Corner, which is holes 11, 12, and 13. They had their own feed for the, for the 14th and 15th hole, their own feed for the 4th and 5th hole. There were a few different featured groups, all in addition to kind of the, the whip around standard broadcast that we're used to. Uh, I found that to be a really interesting way, and I don't watch much golf, but a really interesting way to kind of tailor make the experience to what I wanted. There was I, I bet a little bit on, on some, of the, some of the matchups. I was able to follow those specific golfers essentially for the entire back nine when I wanted to. 
or if I wanted to see what was going on more broadly, I could back it back out to the to, to the big national broadcast. It seems as though, and again, I'm not a golf fan, but it seems like golf works itself really well for this kind of pick your own, choose your own adventure type broadcast. Uh, and ESPN has really leaned into that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think they've benefited from having those multiple platforms that they now have to play with. And, and you know, the holy grail has been, can we get every shot from every player available to folks? Uh, and, and they're working towards that. And then, you know, eventually, I, like many others, did a master's pool this year, not really knowing much, reading two articles and picking some names uh, and surprise, surprisingly not winning. Uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were doing well early, but but fell, fell uh, during the weekend. But point being, in the future, maybe I can get a feed that's those six golfers and I can follow them um, throughout the weekend. I think we are moving towards that. And uh, it's a matter, especially if we talk about cheaper camera technology and, and the AI that can follow these folks. But yes, for now, it, to me, the, the downside is, is there is a confusion factor, I think, early in the weekend of like, okay, what time is this on ESPN? Uh, what time is this on CBS? Where am I going to find this? Um, I think golf fans, devotees have gotten pretty used to doing that dance throughout the year. Uh, you know, it's one of those sports that ends up being on a whole bunch of networks. It's obviously, uh, this is the golf channel as well in the mix. So um, there, there's a downside to, to being spread out. But if you are leaned in and active and willing to do the Google searches necessary, you can find pretty close to the perfect project broadcast for you. And another thing that is, is is looming for golf fans, there's a Netflix series coming. It seems like every sports property <laughs> in the world, right. Jacob, has a Netflix series coming. Um, one thing that I think is interesting about this, we were we host these Twitter spaces every Friday. We had a conversation about the Netflix golf uh, one on Friday. I incorrectly said that I would be surprised I, if Augusta took part in the in the golf one. It seems as though at least in some light version of some sort, Augusta National will be featured as part of it. It seemed like that was almost a prereq for Netflix. They didn't want to go down this until unless they knew that they would be able to bring cameras onto the most hallowed ground uh, in the sport. Um, what do you make of this kind of trend? There, there's been a lot of debate. I know you've engaged in it a little bit about what the F1 series has meant for the popularity of F1, but it certainly seems like a lot of sports and maybe particularly the ones that are not the the top, top tier here in the U.S. are looking at Netflix as an opportunity to maybe reach a new audience, to provide people with a kind of a behind the scenes look that they're not really getting from standard telecasts. Certainly. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the Augusta factor because I was also curious about that. See, so all four majors are, are signed up for this project. That's right. Yeah. But I was thinking, I would just want to watch the Augusta three-part, four-part documentary, right? Like, I, I'm going to probably go to Netflix, find that episode, and watch that that episode, right? I, I want to see behind the scenes. I want to see them driving up. I want to see um, that element of it. it to me, that that's it, it's going to be hard, I feel like, for them, especially if they do it semi-chronologically, which I imagine they will, uh, to, to, to kind of follow that up with whatever the next episode is when they, when they head to Ohio or Florida or California or wherever uh, they try, choose to go in the next episode. Um, but talking about the show overall, to me, my guess, especially in year one, is that the show will be a lot bigger for golfers than it is for golf. I think there'll be one or two folks who really take advantage of this. And we really saw the same in F1 with Daniel Ricardo really becoming sure. a name in America. Uh, and then season three and four, all of a sudden F1 is this thing. But I think Cam Smith, who a lot of people got to know over this weekend, has a chance to be that guy. Obviously, a very uh, unique look. And, and, and we'll see. I'm very curious to see how much he lets cameras follow his Sunday and his after Sunday that I would love. I mean, what, what he did Sunday evening, Monday morning, that to me would be extremely compelling documentary footage. Uh, so to me, whether it's him, whether it's somebody else, I imagine a golfer or two to emerge, but I don't imagine a groundswell, at least in year one, 
of people saying, okay, now I'm going to lock in for four days uh, every weekend. It's just so much golf. That's to me is, is the problem with a lot of these. Uh, and tennis is going to be the same way. I can watch, I can become an F1 fan giving away an hour a week. I can't become a golf can giving away an hour a week. And so that, the the hurdle is there. And so that to me is, is the big challenge. Yeah, I think the one one maybe benefit here is there there are so many people that play golf, right? There, there's mm-hmm. not that many that know it's what, built it's in, like, right. what it's like to drive a race car. <laughs> um, I, I love personally when I hear the mic'd up conversations between caddies and, and golfers because it's cool to just understand the way that they're thinking about things. I can listen to NASCAR drivers talk about their, their tires and when to box and all that. It means nothing to me, but it is, it is cool. Cause I can understand at least, I, obviously I'm, <laughs> I, I know that they're playing a different sport essentially than I am in terms of talent wise, but, but I can understand the conversations that they're having. It gives me a sense of how incredibly talented they are to be talking about whether, you know, they want a 140 yard shot or 141 yard shot and whether they want two yards a draw or five yards a draw. Um, to me, that helps kind of illuminate how incredibly talented these people are. That feels like an advantage to me to golf is that there's a lot of 100%. people that can tune into this that will at least understand how incredibly difficult it is, the things that these guys are doing. And that feels really valuable. Yeah. And, and, and there's that cultural aspect to it too. I, I don't know if you saw the video from Scotty Scheffler's home club, um, and, and them watching the final it. few holes was fantastic. Uh, I think Wright Thompson may have been embedded there uh, on Sunday. Um, but that element, you know, show me kind of the culture, show me these clubs, show me how the, how these golf fans connect to these golfers. That I think is really cool. It's funny hearing you talk about that. I'm not sure this comparison has ever been made, uh, but it sounds a lot like esports to me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same. I can do this. I can play the same game these people are playing. Obviously not at their level, um, but there is a connection there. So uh, I, I totally get that. And maybe there is some sort of instructional element that, that golf fans feel like they can watch the show and, you know, maybe they can change the way they, they approach, um, you know, around to golf. I'm not sure. Last thing I'll say on, on, on golf, it seems like Augusta and Netflix is, is maybe seems like a good example of this is maybe loosening the reins a little bit. It, it's been a mm-hmm. property that has been so restrictive to many of the commercial opportunities that, that everybody else in the sports world seems to be taking. I don't know if you saw this, but I saw that uh, dude perfect filmed at Augusta I heard on, the conversation. On, on yeah. Amen corner last week, which was shocking to me. If you had told <laughs> me that two years ago that Augusta would have allowed YouTube celebrities to, to film a silly, sporting competition at, at, at some of the most famous holes in golf days before I, the yeah, biggest competition. Days before, I, I would have said there's not a chance, but between that, between uh, Netflix, between as Eric Jackson, our colleague wrote about this week, potentially looking into maybe getting a sports betting license through the, the legal avenues in, in Georgia. It at least seems as though Augusta is aware of maybe some opportunities that it has traditionally kept at arm's length in the past that maybe it would be smart for them to try to court a new audience, maybe court a younger audience, maybe make a bit more money to, to maybe be exploring moving forward. Yeah. I mean, it's dangerous, right? Because what Augusta has is its exclusivity, is its element that this is different than every other club in the world. Um, so you're, you're playing with fire there, but there obviously are opportunities for money to be made. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an, the, the, the example that I gave, it feels like kind of like Fenway park to me in that, mm. like it's the, 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 the tradition, the, the baked in tradition and history is part of the brand and right. sure the Red Sox could make a lot more money if they put a brand new $2 billion stadium up and, and, and use that. But there's some kind of less tangible value that they're getting just out of being the, the, the most famous or second most famous baseball stadium in the world that, 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 that they lose 
if they then try to kind of commercialize that a lot moving forward. Right. And I think they've done as good a job of anybody of modernizing, of commercializing without losing that historic appeal, right? I think that's a great model for, for Augusta to be looking at. Some other news uh, over the past week, Major League Baseball uh, kicked off its season post-lockout last week. Two telecast uh, or, or broadcast things that I want to ask you about, Jacob, over the weekend. One, on Friday night, Apple debuted its Friday Night Baseball, a game between the Mets and the Nationals. Then on Sunday night, the debut of the uh, K-Rod, as people are calling it, mm-hmm. Michael K and Alex Rodriguez doing their version of the Manning cast uh, for a Sunday night ESPN Baseball uh, telecast. Uh, I want to talk about both of them. Let's start with Apple. Uh, paid a lot of money for for some exclusive baseball games this year. Our kind of first real sense of, of what mm-hmm. Apple's sports strategy might look like, how different or how similar it might be to watch a major sporting event on Apple as opposed to watching it on a Fox or an ESPN. How much of this did you catch any of it? What were your uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I checked out a good bit of it Friday and then came back and watched uh, some more of the late game over the weekend just to see how it was. And you're right, it's very, I mean, this is kind of the Apple way, but we've seen other, whether it's Twitter or Amazon, kind of dabble with smaller events with non-exclusive properties. Uh, I think we always kind of knew Apple wasn't going to go that route. They're really going to be all in or, or all out. And so that's tricky because all of a sudden you're standing up this new property you're hiring new talent that, as far as I understand, did not get a lot of time to gel beforehand. Obviously, the the lockout and, and the shortened spring training, I'm sure, played into that as well. I enjoyed uh, the the Apple TV broadcast. I, I think there was some negativity online. Um, and and being, a, as I think a lot of people know, being a national t- uh, baseball broadcaster is a very tough job because you're, you're coming in maybe four times a year uh, and you're supposed to compete with if not be better than these broadcasters that are there every day know the team and the fans have a relationship with. so it's very tough off the bat taking everything else out of the equation the other element of it is that people are still not used to and especially baseball fans streaming their games of finding the right platform how do, do i i can't connect this what my chromecast isn't blah 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 that's you know and and so that's the other challenge when you go exclusive off the bat you're not you don't have any time in in uh in the kids side of the pool what would you say is the biggest difference for people who've watched a lot of baseball on television? Mm-hmm. What are some things that you saw that, that were different, seemed like a new approach that Apple was doing? Yeah, well, the first thing that jumped out to people, me and others, is that it looked amazing. And so the first thing everyone's like, oh, is this 4K? No, it's not 4K. But what it is, is it's only online. So you don't have to, and without getting too technical here, uh, oftentimes when you're streaming a baseball game, what you're watching is a feed that was made for TV and that was compressed and sent through a bunch of servers and then made it to your device. Because they don't have to worry about the cable aspect of this, there's a lot less compression. And so it's a much better picture. It's higher quality, the colors, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that, was, that was one. That's, as soon as you turn it on, you're going to see a better looking baseball game. And that's why I think they have potential here if they can figure the rest out. The two, they tried a lot of other things. They had uh, on-base probability uh, kind of up for every at-bat or, or, or strikeout probability, kind of this rotating list of, of stats in the bottom right there. That was hit or miss to me. Um, and, and obviously, they've got the new graphics. I thought the graphics were, were great. You know, the, in, the insets, all that, no problem. Uh, those were the, kind of the main things. And the other part is the commentating, right? And so they have three-person per- booths with a sideline reporter. So a little little bigger than maybe some uh, fans are used to. And it's more conversational, uh, as I think these are often the case. And that, I think, is where they ran into the most trouble and where I, I would imagine there's the most adjustments going forward is you really have, and we, we can transition into K-Rod after this, but you have to, in my opinion, focus on the game, make the game more interesting rather than competing with the game as a commentator. Uh, and so I think they did that at times, but other times, uh, maybe not so much, more focus on the conversation than on the game. 
Uh, and so that's what I would look for as the season progresses. Let's go back to the first thing you said, because I'm I'm fascinated by this. The why would if I'm ESPN and I have a college football game that I'm showing on ABC, but you can also watch it on ESPN plus or on on watch ESPN, whatever that platform is. Why would I not have a separate stream so that the cool, good tech, uncompressed, non broadcastized version of it is still available for fans? Why is it that you can't have this better, crisper footage for all streaming sports and just let them kind of do a dual thing separately for the, for the ones that end up on TV. I think you already know the answer to that question, right? <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's, it's dollars, it's, right? It's dollars and cents. It's right? expensive. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, imagine it's, re- it's resources at the end of the day. And, and, and it's also prioritization. It's like, okay, if we're doing a whole nother fee, then we need a, do we need a whole nother truck? We need someone monitoring this. It's just if, if it, and for now streaming is a smaller percentage for most, especially if we're talking ABC versus ESPN plus, why don't I just put my best people on this ABC feed? Uh, and that's just how it's always been done. You know, streaming is something that came along. And this is a point I make a lot when people complain about the transition from broadcast or cable to streaming is that streaming came along as an add-on of something. Okay, we should do this as well. Fans will like it if we offer this also. It was never the priority. It's never been the priority. And that's what excites me so much, A, about Apple TV with baseball, B, about Amazon with football in the fall. There's just things you can do when this is the main and the only broadcast. And we're going to start seeing that, this being the first example. Uh, and so hopefully over time, that will convince people, okay, maybe there are reasons to go to streaming rather than just going back to dollars and cents. So I didn't watch any of this telecast. It seemed like the on Twitter, the two things I was seeing the most was, well, yeah, tell it me. looks really cool. Uh-huh. And two, a lot of people who were upset about the, uh, the stats you were mentioning, particularly around the probability metrics that were being were being used a lot. And I find that one fascinating because there is a, certainly a school of sports viewers who want more information on the dasher. They want to see all the speed of the base runner, the speed of the pitch, the speed of the batted ball, all that stuff. And a lot of sports fans who could not care less <laughs> about any of that stuff. They just kind of want the basics and they, they want the rest of that to be, to be left off. Uh, Jacob, I also did not get to watch any of the Michael K. Mm-hmm. A-Rod, uh, again, from just kind of scanning the, the Twitter feed, uh, it seemed to be a lot of people who were unimpressed, but give me your thoughts on kind of the first big baseball answer to to what the Manning brothers have made so successful. I will do that. Let me go back. I want to say two quick things based on uh, what you said. First off, that idea of, yes, yeah, some people want the stats and some people don't. That's another benefit of streaming, right? I think Apple, this being their first game, didn't have all the bells and whistles, but you can imagine fairly easily a world where you click a button and you get that up all the time. You click a button, you hide it. That it should be simple, whether they do that by the end of this year or the start of next year, who knows, but that, that should be simple. Um, going to, to K-Rod. Yeah. I, I think they did a lot of cool things. They um, ha- had some kind of QR code based surveys and questions. So that was fantastic. A way to integrate the fans more. Um, they had some social call outs, stuff you might see on like inside the NBA where they're showing tweets and stuff that, I think was was a little more missed than hit for me. Uh, my biggest takeaway from from the K Rod is going back to what I said before is it felt more like a podcast that was on while I'm watching the game on mute. You know, yeah. it, it, at times they were interacting, and I didn't catch the whole. You know, it's ranked Yankees Red Sox, so I didn't catch the whole four hours of it. I probably watched about half of it, and 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 this because we got to the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, it's four three, and I'm not. I feel like I'm not following the game, so I switched over to the main broadcast. Um, which is not something I ever found myself doing with the Manning cast. I don't know if you remember that that overtime game where they had Russell Wilson on. It was an extremely close game, and I wanted to see the Mannings react to each play, tell me what was going to happen. And I felt like I wasn't getting that um, from K-Rod. And so sometimes 
That's the case if they go into week one and they have all these bits they want to try out and all these little you know jokes that they've pre-planned. And so maybe that was the case of it and maybe they'll settle into the action next week. But that's what I'm going to be watching for is I want to... F- these All these alt-casts is fairly simple proposition. I want to feel like I'm watching a game with people I want to be watching a game with. It's two pieces. And and you could argue they're 0 for 2 on that after week one. Yeah, it's, 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 it, this is clearly one of the new major trends in sports broadcasting. Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi had mm-hmm. one during And I felt similarly about theirs. About it, it kind of was a little too tangential because that's on during the final four and the final game. It's, to me, that's an instance where you need to be focusing on the game. Um, but it's another great example. Some of them seem to kind of live and die by the quality of the guests that they get and also the kind of interplay between them. The thing that I'm kind of waiting for, and you would know better than me about how soon this may happen, we've clearly settled on an, on a model here in which people feel like the, the hosts need to be really famous. The Manning brothers are two of the most famous football players of all time. Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, two of the most famous women's basketball players of all time. Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez are are extremely famous in the baseball world. Um, and, and all these people are, to varying degrees, are fairly good at doing this. I keep waiting for... The, the, the alternate broadcast to pop up, maybe not done by celebrities, but done by people who are hyper specific about X and Y. And it feels like there's a million possibilities of what that is. But to me, the ultimate goal, the, the ultimate end up here is maybe not that we just have big names that are willing to do this because the Manning brothers, for how famous they are, they are also unquestionably extremely talented, right. and very charismatic at doing this thing. Um, I do wonder if if people are maybe taking the wrong thing away from them in that like maybe the idea that these are two hall of famers isn't really the draw but the draw is more kind of what you're saying about the way that they're able to kind of weave in what they're watching with their guest and make it funny and make it compelling and make it make it endearing and that maybe there are people that are not maybe a tier below in terms of fame or maybe just comedians whatever lo- <laughs> local beat writers whatever it is yeah um someone that's not a just an automatic draw by their name alone that are able to make broadcasts really compelling for people in a new way. Yeah, I think we'll see that over time. The other thing about the Manning cast that made it work is because they are so famous, they had A, credibility, and B, flexibility to do things differently, to have more fun, uh, to poke fun at each other and at the game, and, and be lighter. I think when you're not that A-list star, there's probably more pressure on you, especially as you're getting going, to be more traditional, right? To, to take fewer chances. Uh, and I think we saw that a little bit in the Apple TV game as well. As, you know, These were long-time professionals and, and 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 broadcasters, but not A-list names. And I think maybe that makes it a little harder to, to go outside of the box. Um, so I would imagine, st- I think we're probably at, at least two years away from from that world you have of, of you know, really identifying who's good at making these alt-casts rather than who's going to get people to watch the alt-casts. Because uh, I think you have to, which is what I call them, alt-casts. That's, you know, that's branded. That's, you're going to have to pay me every time you, you use that word. Um, but... <laughs> To, to me, step one is getting people to, to believe these are worth watching. And then step two is optimizing them. So so make sense of these two things for me. On one hand, as we're talking about, there there's going to be a rise of alternative broadcasts. In some ways, the, the core national broadcast may be less important than it ever has been. Certainly moving forward, there's going to be other options, other broadcast options that pull people away from that broadcast. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we have seen a essentially a record in the market right now for companies like Fox and ESPN paying for talent. ESPN just poached Troy Aikman and Joe Buck away from Fox. Five years, $165 million commitment to those two people. I'm kind of confused as to why on one hand, it feels like those standard like national telecasts are less important than ever. And yet we're paying the talent 
more money than ever to mm-hmm. anchor them. Yeah. To me, it's the Super Bowl effect, right? As there's more and more competition for eyeballs, the things that have built-in fans or or credibility or um, just recognizability become more valuable. This is this is like a, a fact of the internet. The the top one percent gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the rest becomes all even out. So that I think is what we're seeing. To some degree, we're also seeing, as you know, these networks. Uh, in, there's more competition for rights, more competition for access from the league, and so a lot of it I think is this is going to give me more credibility with my partner at the league, um, and and maybe with advertisers as well. I think that's another big piece of it and and the third is i wouldn't be surprised if this is a peak moment right i I, it's hard it's hard for me to believe that in five years these salaries are going to go even higher you know inflation adjusted whatever Uh, i think in this moment because there's all these new players because there's more competition for rights uh, because there's these fears about losing attention and losing credibility that this was a perfect moment and and you know it's a handful of agents that are getting this done and i think they've struck at the perfect time uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be replicated uh, five, ten years from now. What did you make? Uh, speaking of ESPN spending spree, yeah, uh, retaining Adam Schefter nine million dollars a year, retaining Adrian Wojnarowski seven million dollars a year. Kind of the two premier Twitter transaction newsbreakers <laughs> in our industry. There was a lot of speculation that gambling companies might be interested in 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 both of these men for the obvious way in which their their bread and butter relates to 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 betters. Um, ESPN clearly prioritized paying a lot of money uh, to, to keep both of them uh, at ESPN. Were you surprised that they stuck around? I'm kind of interested by the, the this push and pull between obviously ESPN kind of needs to have them. It's unclear to me how much they need ESPN, but maybe they need ESPN and that platform a bit more than I was originally thinking about. Right. Well, the $9 million kind of says that maybe they don't need ESPN that much, <laughs> right? I mean, that... that, that is a big factor. Uh, I never foresaw them going to a betting company. To me, that was more leverage um, than anything. I, I would expect, and, and I think Andrew Martian of the New York Post reported that there may be some some carve out, some flexibility for them to do some possible side deals with betting interests. Obviously, ESPN itself may have a betting interest, so that that plays into this as well. Something you've been following for a long time. Uh, so yeah, I this goes back to what we we're saying. Like the biggest brands become more important than ever, and 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 those folks are, they are news at ESPN. And so having that, um, I think, is extremely valuable. And, and the question is whether the, the team level reporters and, and those things, whether there's still going to be resources left for those folks that are really on the ground in, in these situations. Um, but, you know, happy for, for Schefter and, and Woj. And, and again, I think struck at the perfect time. So let's wrap up here, Jacob. I like to joke that you are our resident expert in cool stuff that's <laughs> happening in the sports world. Give us something that's been on your radar in the past week or so, something that a, a team or a league has done that our listeners may not have been aware of, but that you think is super interesting. Yeah, well, I'm curious to see. I haven't done too much reporting on it yet, but the USFL is going to come back um, this weekend. I'm always, you know, cool stuff is nice. Weird stuff is how I like to think of it. Uh, and spring <laughs> football is always... in between those two. <laughs> Yes, of all, spring football is always classic weird stuff. You know, it's like, w- what's going on here? We got weird logos, we got weird cameras, we got weird announcers. Uh, so I always love that stuff. And, and eventually some of it works and some of it trickles into uh, the fall, the real stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to watch that. And the, the other thing I've got my eye on is going to be this NFL draft in Las Vegas uh, coming up here two, three weeks from now. Um, you know, it's been a couple years since we've had this full draft experience. I think Nashville was really the last 
full on is a mega event. Uh, and I imagine the NFL is, is going to try to make, I mean, Vegas is going to be, I'm very curious to see what, what the scene is there, what that's like and how that continues to develop uh, as this spring tentpole uh, for the biggest sport in America. Right on. Jacob, this was fun. You should uh, you should come back and join us more often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Scott will never listen to it, so he'll, uh, he'll never know how great it was, but uh, it, it's been fun uh, in the moment for well, sure. Well, folks, if, since Scott is not going to listen, let him know on Twitter if you would like Jacob to, uh, to, to, to replace him permanently on the show. Uh, he <laughs> is Jacob Feldman on Twitter at Jacob Feldman for won't get I'm, me in trouble folks <laughs> I'm Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams the show is produced by Matt Whitehurst shout out to Matt our digital media editor Cora Veltman wants you to know that you can find the show at Sportacast and wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>